Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor for the BS Podcast and for Channel 33. Enter promo code BS and buy Panthers Broncos tickets on SeatGeek and they'll send you $100 on your purchase. SeatGeek's Broncos Panthers prices are the lowest out there and they always show you the full price up front with no hidden fees. To get $100 off your purchase, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code BS. Today's episode is also brought to you by NatureBox. They make delicious snacking seem smart and easy. You know who's been using NatureBox for over a year? My wife. Choose from over 100 snacks. Go healthy, go indulgent. Just snack away with their smart box guarantee. If you get a snack you don't like, they'll replace it in your next box for free. Visit naturebox.com BS and get 50% off your first box. Again, approved by my wife. And let's go. Yeah. All right, it's our first Monday without Cousin Sal on the BS Podcast because we're going to do the Super Bowl Props Podcast um, later in the week, probably Wednesday. And we need time to prepare. We need to figure out what the best props are. want to talk a little hoops today. This is a guy I've been trying to get to come on for a while. Um, former coach of the Bulls, had a cup of coffee. Uh, including a 2008 title cup of coffee with the Celtics and has been in the league forever. And I enjoy talking hoops with them. So that's what we're going to do. Tom Thibodeau, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. A little different, but uh, I'm enjoying my time off. Yeah, so let's see, 26 straight years? You're you're just immersed in the NBA, and then you leave Chicago last summer. And so what happens? What do you do first? Yeah, you know, it, you take a step back. Uh, you know, I, I'm still involved with Team USA, so I, I had that last summer. But uh, then you approach the season, you decide, you know, like, okay, wh- what do I want to get accomplished? And uh, for me, uh, I'm doing it more as a sabbatical, uh, recharge, re-energize, uh, visit with some people, go on vacation, do some normal things, watch some movies, and... Uh, you know, we'll see what unfolds going forward. So you, you in the training camps, you hopped around and, and went and visited a, a bunch of different organizations and tried to learn some stuff. What did you learn? Yeah, no, Bill, it was, it was terrific. It, I mean, obviously, when you're approaching it from this perspective, it's a lot different because it's not, you know, one team and where you're trying to figure out, okay, how can you, you know, uh, maximize the strengths and weaknesses and cover up the weaknesses of your own team and prepare for the season. This was, you know, taking a step back, a much broader view of the game and look at how everyone else is approaching the season. It was fascinating because each team is unique and each team has uh, their strengths and weaknesses. And they're, they're also in different phases. You can take a uh, San Antonio who's uh, competing for a championship and, you know, adding in a Lamarcus Aldridge and a David West, and it's a well-oiled machine, and it's a it's a phenomenal system. Uh, and spend a few days with them. You go with the Warriors, and they're the defending champion. Then you're watching how they approach, it. and then you turn around and go to Utah. And it's a young team that's building a great foundation. Uh, and so it, it's when you look at it that way, and then you have some teams that are sort of. In the middle, I spent some time with Rick Carlisle, who was terrific in Dallas. And, you know, every year he's, he finds a way to get it done. And 
I've spent time in Houston, Charlotte, uh, the Clippers, of course, with, with Doc. So um, it was terrific. I also had the opportunity to visit with uh, uh, Stan Van Gundy in Detroit and Brad Stevens in Boston. So who are you the most jealous of? Well, you know, it's funny when you're, when you're, when you're sitting in this position and each, you know, like you always have preconceived notions as to what it will be like. Then when you, when you get there and you're looking at the teams and, uh, it's, uh, you know, like you go to a golden state and you, and it's just phenomenal. And obviously I had the chance to be around Clay and Steph with Team USA. Um, but just watching how they, do everything in their high character team and uh you know you always worry or you know you're you want to get a look at how are they going to approach the season after winning it particularly when they're they're unique in the sense that uh where their best players are really young and they won the championship and when they come back with the same hunger to do it again and obviously the uh the answer is a resounding yes and then right. You know, and then you get to uh, San Antonio and you see, like, it's just a, it, it, it's amazing just the way they do it. You know, and it's not, like, if you said to me, what's the one thing that they do great? You know, I couldn't tell you that. But I, it's, all I can tell you is that everything matters with San Antonio. Every little thing, there's nothing that, it, that goes unprepared for or is not well thought out. So, um, you know, I think that any of the championship caliber teams and then the, the teams that are trying to get there, so it was, it was a lot of fun, you know, and uh, when you do it that way, I think I learned a lot of things and, um, you know, and, and then you get you get the chance to, st- you know, to watch at the beginning of the season. And the, my biggest takeaway is this, is that our league is in great shape. Like, I'm watching the East and the way things have unfolded and, um there's a lot of really good uh, young teams that are real competitive. There's great games being played every night. And I, I think we have some really good young superstars. That uh, the, the league is in great shape right now. So when you saw Golden State, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I went through this in the summer and the fall of 2008 with the Celtics. We win the title. I'm not sure how these guys are going to come back, how they're going to react to it. Are they going to be coasting? Are they going to be hungry for a back-to-back? And in the case of the Celtics, super hungry. And did you see that when you when you were watching Golden State, that they remind you of the 2008 Celtics in that respect? Well, that that was the biggest thing when I was going out there. I wanted to see how they would compare. In, in, in Boston, in 08, the challenge the first year was how quickly could we get everyone out to the same page Obviously, when you add uh, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen to Paul Pierce, that puts you in that position. But uh, people were telling us, well, it's going to take more than a year. And we felt like uh, we got to get it done right away. And those guys were terrific and came back the next year. And because of the makeup of those three guys, they knew that they would have a chance to repeat. And they were phenomenal. Uh, In the second year, we actually started the season off better than the first year and when the first year was terrific and then Kevin got hurt right after the all-star break and that sort of you know we ended up losing to Orlando in the second round but that I really felt that the second year we were better than we were the first year really so then well, you oh, thought yeah, they, yeah even without Posey yeah yeah and Posey was a big hit but I also thought we had some good young players on that team that were still growing because 
when you look at like a Rondo and a Perk and Glenn Davis, you know, like we felt like, okay, we're losing a little something there, but we still have these young guys that could get better, and they did. So we, and then the just the the way the the you know the the big three approached it, you know, I I knew that that year was going to be really special. And, and Doc and I talk about it all the time. The you know that that year, I think our depth, even though we lost Posey, was you know we had the confidence that we could do it. And uh, and, and the young guys had really come along nicely and put a lot of time in the offseason preparing for the, you know, the, the, the chance to repeat. So you saw it, you're around the Warriors, and you just see that same look in their eyes. Well, the, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, like in Boston, everything came together at the right time for us because you had uh, Kevin coming off a lottery season, in, in Minnesota, you had Ray coming off a lottery season in Seattle and Paul coming off a lottery season in Boston. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, when they got together, because of where they were in their careers, really the only box left for them to check was the championship. And they weren't going to let that opportunity pass. And so, like, the, and the same thing the second year, they felt like, okay, this is our chance to repeat. And because of where they were, you knew they would approach it, you know, with the hunger of, okay, we're not going to let allow this opportunity to slide by because we may never get another chance at it. And with Golden State, that going out there, that was one of the things I, I thought about was would would Steph, Clay, and Raymond have that same drive and hunger because of, you know, like the fact that they're so young. Human nature would be, you know, to feel good, relax in the summer. And, you know, and now you come into the year and, it, hey, if we miss it this year, we can get it next year. Yeah. And to their credit, they were, and I happened to be out there one day. It was right after they had lost to the Lakers in a preseason game. And they had one of the most incredible practices that, that I had ever seen. Really? Just the whole, oh, yeah. And, and Steve was there. You know, he wasn't running the practice, but they have a terrific staff. They, they did a phenomenal job. Uh, but you could just see, like the the, the whole team, the, the attitude of the team, and they have some. It's a really good mix of guys. You know, they have the young guys that are, you know, those obviously the stars. But then, you know, to to say that you know you can't look at a a guy like Andre Iguodala and say he's not a star. I and mean, he just knows how to win, and he's 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 so unselfish with the way he plays. You throw in a Barbosa, a Livingston, Bogut, a Zeely, they all do their job. Uh, it's just a, uh, it's a great group to be around, and you know they, they knew like the preseason was sort of winding down, and they knew you know how they wanted to approach it. But the practice was from the beginning to the end was absolutely phenomenal. Is it fair to say that Draymond is like the ultimate Tibbs player? That like the one guy in the league you would have loved coaching the most? Well, you know, the, I, I'd say this: it's, it's like any coach would love. Him. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think if you went back to you know Michigan State, and you can tell his relationship with Tom Izzo, uh, and the way Michigan State won when they were there, and then you know he gets to Golden State and his relationship with the coaches there and, and his teammates and the way he just has gotten so much better, uh, he'd be a great fit on any team in any system, and but- he's probably the most unique player in the league because. He can play multiple positions, including the center position, 
And when they go small at the end and he goes to the center position, most teams, I would say almost all the teams that do that, they sacrifice their defense and rebounding. And when Golden State does it with uh, Draymond going to the center position and Andre Iguodala going to the power forward position, they sacrifice no defense and no rebounding. And then they are incredibly dangerous in transition because they all can bust out with it and, and put enormous pressure on your defensive transition. So it seems like the biggest mistake teams are making this season is trying to replicate what Golden State is doing because they feel like that's the only way they're going to beat them. And yet, I've made this point on a couple podcasts before, but you have Curry, who's the greatest shooter of all of all time and one of the best offensive players of all time. You have Quay Thompson, who's the second best shooter in the league right now. So they have, just by sheer fluke, they have the two best shooters in the league on a thirty team in a thirty team league. And then on top of that, they have the only guy in the league who can play the five when he's really a stretch four or whatever the hell Draymond is. I don't even think he has a position. And then Iguodala can play power forward. And as you said, they don't sacrifice defense. Why are people trying to replicate something that's impossible to replicate? Well, and that's a great question. I guess, you know, in all leagues, you know, know, they always say like in the NFL, the team that went to copycat league, in some cases, I think that holds true in the NBA as well. And that's what I love about the way Pop coaches. Uh, you know, I think Pop, if you look at his career, you know, every every year he's played to the strengths of his team and he's covered up its weaknesses. And if you went way back to the beginning with Robinson and Duncan, it was a, very much a power team that played great defense uh, and they pounded you. And then when David Robinson retired, uh, they went to more of a pace push, uh, playing, you know, emphasizing the strengths of Tony Parker, Mano Ginobili, uh, and then, of course, getting Diaw uh, a stretch four, and they shot more threes and opened up the game. And now, the, you know, the acquisition of LaMarcus Aldridge and David West and emphasizing the, the strength of Kawhi Leonard, it's become more of a post-up shooting less threes, but still highly efficient uh, offensively and playing unbelievable uh individual and team defense uh, and they're trying to do it their way they feel that that's their best chance of having the ultimate success right um so i think that that's what you know the good teams do like they they look at the strengths and weaknesses of their team and they try to play uh that way i think the whole trick is is more to be efficient uh you know obviously to be a top five offensive and defensive team uh, to be in the top five with your rebounding, and then you look at the scoring margin. To me, those are the markers that are most important. All right, this is a tough question to ask because I, you don't, you wouldn't know what type of roster you'd have in this scenario. But let's say you had the ability to go big at a, at a, at a good level, or to go small at a good level, and you're playing the Warriors. What what kind of things would you try to do to disrupt them? Well, I think you just hit on it because, and that's where you have to give Golden State a tremendous amount of credit the way you know their organization has put that roster together because they have the ability to do both, and they do. Uh, they start big and oftentimes play big most of the game, and then if they're down at the end, they have the ability to go to a small lineup and to change everything. And if you went back to last year's uh, finals. 
uh, you know, in game three, uh, and, and they're down, and they're losing big in the fourth quarter. They, they, you know, they went without the center. They had put David Lee in, and they found something that worked. And so then they just kept downsizing from there, and it worked very effectively for them. So uh, they have the ability to do both. So I think when you're playing Golden State, you have to have an understanding of who they have on the floor and how you want to match up, and then also what schemes are you going to utilize with each unit that they have out there because you can't play the same way when they go to the small uh, lineup. There are some things you could do uh, differently with the big lineup. And the, I think the, the big thing with Steph is he can't give him a steady diet of anything. You have to keep adjusting to make him read and react to you. And even if you do that, he still has the ability, as does play, to make incredibly tough shots in transition. Right. So as a coach, that, that's the type of team – you lose the most sleep over because you might do everything perfectly and they're still going to hit crazy shots and beat you anyway. Right. I think with, you know, with any star players, when you prepare and you, and you're putting your game plan together, you have to decide, okay, what are we going to try to take away and, and what are we going to be willing to live with? And anytime you put two on the ball, you're going to be vulnerable in another area. So you, I think you have to determine how much are you going to do that? How are they going to counter? And what are the shots that we want to take away? You know, do you want to take away, you know, the obvious is the layup and the dunk and then the the, the catch-and-shoot threes, particularly the corner three, and then you want to limit the free throws. Like, to me, those are, you know, the three areas that you lock into. But, you know, the, the thing is, is uh, like with Clay and, and Steph, they play so well off of each other. Uh, you have to have great awareness. It requires multiple effort, you know, you have to be able to challenge shots and then also finish your defense. I think challenging shots is something that's incredibly important, but the finish of the defense is equally, maybe even more important because they, they get a lot of threes off the scramble, offensive rebound, hustle-type plays. So if you're not disciplined in where you need to be, they're going to make you pay for that. And Steph is so clever with the ball, you could put him in a box and he he can create just enough space to get that shot off. And, it, you know, he gets it off uh, so quickly, uh, he's almost impossible to guard. But you, what you have to do with him is try to make him work as much as possible for his points. They That's a team that they have the most success when the game goes kind of wonky, especially like the the – long offensive rebound, or I'm sorry, long defensive rebound off a of three or something and people are running back and somebody loses it and then all of a sudden Steph's making a 26-footer. So much of it is transition and some sort of screwed up play or somebody's over here, oh, I forgot, oh, you, oh, 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 and then they're making the three. How do you coach against that? Yeah, I think when you go in into the game against them, you have to make your team understand, okay, if this team averages 33s and they do a lot of damage in transition, your defensive transition is so critical. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, how can we get that number down? Like what you don't want them to do is take 35 or 43s and then they make a high percentage. So I think the first thing is how do you get the attempts down? And then once you get the attempts down, how, do you, how well can you challenge? And, you know, what are the ones that you absolutely don't want them to have? And I would say, you know, the obvious would be the two corners, and you don't want them to be catch-and-shoot threes from the corner. Right. And then, you know, like, so, like, I think that 
deciding that is probably the most important thing. And then you have to say, okay, if we blitz and try to get the ball out of his hand, where are they putting their people? And then maybe you blitz in certain areas of the floor. Uh, but I think you have to have that discipline, and your team has to understand what you're trying to take away, what you're willing to live with. Like to me, if a guy, if you're on his body and you're forcing him in a certain direction, you're making him pull the ball back to you, uh, in, in, you know, with your shooting hand, and you can challenge that shot, and he makes those, you probably will live with those. Okay, but the ones in which you know the, it's a it's a pass out, it's a rhythm shot. Those are the ones that you're probably not, you know, you, you want to take those out as much as you can. So the best three teams of this century, just from a ceiling standpoint, I would say, were, were the 0-1 Lakers, who were just unbelievable in the playoffs. I think that somewhere from the 0-8 Celtics, from the conference finals all the way through to when KG got through the next year, that was an unbelievable run by that team. And then this Warriors team now. And you were involved with one of those three teams, the Celtics. So let's say I, have, I put the Celtics in a time machine. You get, you get the November 2008 Celtics, and you're playing the Warriors, and it's one game, winner takes all. What, what's the strategy with that Celtics team that you had? Well, I, you know, the, the, I think we'd match up quite well with them, to be honest with you. But uh, it'd be one heck of a game. And I would say this that the season would be really important because that home court would mean it all, probably. Right. Would you, would, what's the over-under of, of 2008 KG versus 2016 Draymond alpha dog arguments where they have to be separated? Like at least three? <laughs> <laughs> that would be for the tip. <laughs> That's true. In the warm-ups. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, it would be, and, and again, uh, in, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough about Kevin. You know, and obviously, uh, Bill, you were around the Celtics for a, a lot. But what he meant to that team, and uh, you know, he gave the team that heart, the fight, all of those things. And I think that's exactly what Draymond brings to to the Warriors. It's you know, and, and his uh, you know his stats are impressive. You know, the, the seven assists. Uh, the, the points are not overwhelming or anything like that. The rebounding is out, but it's it's all that he brings. It's you know it's the the fight and uh, you know the, he does everything to unite and inspire that team. Right, and you know his playmaking and see like in and, and, and Kevin is is a different player. But Kevin did a lot of those things that you probably you know he he probably doesn't get enough credit. Like he sacrificed the most. Like he could have been the leading scorer of that team, and he was the you know third, I think. He and when the ball needed to move side to side, he got it going. Even if he had a decent shot, you know, for him from the top of the key, he'd get the ball hopping for us. And once he started, doing, everyone else would follow. And then he was, you know, in all my time, you know, and I was fortunate. I've been around a lot of great players. He was a great, great practice player. And that when your best player is like that, then you then you've got a team that practices well, uh, and a team that will play its best when its best is needed. Yeah, it's funny. You wouldn't think that Draymond and KG like you wouldn't think Draymond is this decade's KG basically, because he's six inches shorter, different types of games. But 
but really, he's kind of the legacy guy for KG. Like the way he carries himself game after game, practice after practice, the defensive intensity and, and excellence that he brings and just how unique he is. I, I would say well, it's not a I'd weird comparison. The, yeah, the, the thing that is similar, I would say, is, is the will to win. I think the thing that make, makes Kevin so special is – uh, to combine the incredible talent, superstar talent, with that will to win. Right. And, uh, it's so rare to, to have that combination. Patrick was like that as well, Patrick Ewing. Uh, but when you have that, it's it's really special. And that intensity is it's it, because it, that's not something I, that I think you could turn on and off. Like some guys are, are great, fierce competitors in games and not that way, you know, in practice or, but when you have a guy who can do both, that, I think that lifts your entire team. And, uh, you know, what, what Kevin did there in, for that team was, I mean, when you think back that you know, the year before he got there, um, they had lost 18 in a row. So to change the, to change everything and, uh, to do it all as quickly as he did in, in the first year, I mean, it was it was just tremendous, and you know, and obviously Paul Pierce and, and, and Ray deserve a lot of credit as well. You know, along with you know, we had some really good young players on that team as well. Hold on, I want to talk about this 2016 Olympic team, but first, I want to talk about my buddies at Squarespace. They build gorgeous websites for normal people who don't know how to build websites. My friend Louis K just launched his own PR branding biz called Covert Creative. Check out that website at covertcreative.com. It's covert with a K. And yeah, he used Squarespace. Louis is a bigger technology dummy than I am. So shout out to Louis's new business and shout out to the technology dummies. Uh, also a Squarespace customer. Speaking of technology dummies, the star of Friday Rolling, Mr. Joe House. Check out his site at housefromdc.com. Um, here's the point. Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites regardless of skill level no coding needed easy to use tools state-of-the-art technology you get 24 7 online support and a beautiful website for only eight dollars a month you even get a free domain if you buy squarespace for the year so why wait start your trial with no credit card go to squarespace.com and use the offer code bs for 10 percent off your first purchase squarespace you should all right back to the olympics so how do we leave Draymond off this 2016 Olympic team? I, I just don't see uh, how he's not on it. Well, yeah, the, 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 and that's the that's going to be the, the the toughest thing in in moving forward with Team USA is is picking that that team that, that final twelve. And it's you know it's it's such an incredibly tough job. And uh, you know Coach K and Jerry Colangelo you know, they take that responsibility very seriously, and they. You know they're, they're, they'll put a lot of time and thought into it, and uh, and unfortunately, there's going to be some very deserving players that you know will be left off, but they're never entirely out of the pool, and there's you know they'll always the opportunity the next time around, but it, it's not going to be an easy task picking that team. Yeah. So, all right, LeBron, Durant, Curry, Westbrook, Draymond, Kawhi, Anthony Davis, Chris Paul, Carmelo, Paul George, Clay Thompson. That's 11 right there. And I did not even mention 
Kyrie, James Harden, Andre Drummond, Jimmy Butler, Chris Bosh, Boogie Cousins, <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge, or Blake Griffin. I don't think we've ever had a tougher roster situation. I mean, this is a nightmare. No, and, it, and it's an incredible credit to all the players, too, because what they've done is they've restored all the pride in playing for our country. It's, it's a great honor and it's a privilege. And the way they've conducted themselves, and I know even with the World Cup, uh, a lot of the older guys who did not play stopped by to watch practice and were texting the guys. And it's really, you know, it's become a, a brotherhood. And, uh, you know, and it's, it is, a, it's actually, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And it's, um, I think it's been great for our league. It's, you know, obviously, um, you know, it, it's, it's worked out quite well for us. From being around that team and just being around the practices and some of that stuff, what, you know, you have a chance to see these guys up close. These are guys that you're just coaching against. Now all of a sudden you're in around them day to day, watching how they act with each other, watching them in practice. Was there one guy in particular that just jumped out at you, like where you were saying to yourself, my God, I didn't realize this guy was blank. Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing is because – it's really a, it's an interesting experience because you you're having these all these guys who are you know dominating players for their teams and they're uh, they come in and they're being asked to sacrifice you know maybe they come off the bench and none of them are playing a lot of minutes it's all you know you're probably playing 20 minutes a game so it's not you know where you're you're playing a 36 of the 40 minutes that's not going to happen so uh, and and just their willingness to share with each other and to bring the best out of each other. Uh, it's, it's real interesting to observe. And you oftentimes after practice, you'd see guys, you know, playing one-on-one and uh, working out on, you know, uh, working on their games with each other. And, you know, I think anytime you could be around other people that are great at doing something, you're going to learn from the situation. And I think, I think our guys have done that. They've, They've learned from each other. They've learned from the international game, uh, and it's a it's an, an incredible experience. So, was there one guy that changed their perception of him, or, or added yeah, the perception? You, I, I, I tell you, the guy who probably stood out the most was, was Cousins. In terms of like you know, until you're around somebody, you don't really know him, and uh, you know he was he played great for us in the World Cup, and as a matter of fact, in the in the gold medal game, he was he was he was dominant. You know, I think Davis had gotten into early foul trouble. He went in and he played terrific. And, uh, you know, he came off the bench and uh, played unselfishly, played hard. Uh, but I think the the biggest thing that stands out is the willingness of all the players to sacrifice. You know, you see guys, yeah. you know, cheering. The guys are on the bench. They're cheering the guys who are on, on the floor. Call a timeout. They're greeting the guys coming off the floor. You know, it's it, you see their love of the game, you know, and that's that's uh, and their respect of the game, you know, that that really stood out to me, you know. The, and you know, they're also sacrificing their summer. You know, they're they're giving that up to you know represent their country, the the NBA, you know, their their teams themselves. It's uh, it's quite an experience. So, somebody like Cousins, who I I'm a huge fan of. And you see this happen in the NBA so many times where somebody's just in the wrong situation. Like that guy's had five coaches already and he's had five GMs and a couple owners and 
just turn roster turmoil year after year after year and th- this is a common thing with the NBA where you you know you you have young guys coming into a team they're expected to carry the team right away cuz they're a high lottery pick but they're 19 and they're 20 things are changing year after year and so I'm sure if somebody like Cousins he goes to a team like that and it's the first time in five years he's been in a great basketball situation, right? I mean, it's good that he's thriving in that. Right. I think that whole experience was real positive for him. And uh, I think, you know, what you have to keep in mind, too, and you already hit on it, is you, usually when a guy comes into the league, he's 19 years old. And after a guy's been in six, seven, eight, he's not going to be the same. He's going to learn, have learned from past experiences, the people that he's been around, and he's going to grow. He's not the same person. It's it's funny, like this, you know, I've, I've worked a few summers now, and each summer you can see a difference. You know, I think everyone learns as, as you go forward. And, uh, uh, and I think when you're around other players that have done it, and uh, as you get older and you learn from some of the mistakes that you made, you will be different. And uh, I think to truly uh, be great, you have to have the ability to bring out the best of the you know the people that are around you as well. Right. And I think that that's something that they they take from it. I think there's a there's a big leadership component uh, to Team USA, and there's a communication component to it. And I think they all learn from that. You know, it's funny. People always talk about the bump that players get post Team USA the the season right afterwards because they get thrown into that mix of not just the games but the practices and you know people like Durant and Westbrook who are just maniacs and the practice ends and they're still out there for an hour and a half afterwards and then the other players start to feel like oh well maybe I should be out there and then you see these dramatic effects like somebody like James Harden was the number two MVP last year and people were saying you know, one of the reasons he did so well last season was because he was in that Team USA mix and he was measuring himself, himself against these guys. Do you believe in that, or is that an old wives' tale? No, I do believe in it. And I saw it firsthand with uh, Derek uh, my first year in Chicago with Derek Rose. Uh, and he, he played with Team USA in the World Games. And uh, uh, he came into camp and he was in great shape. And I had the opportunity to go and watch him practice. And, and it's a different setting. And that's the first thing you take away from it. So everyone is a little bit uncomfortable. It's not like you're with your team yep. where, you know, you might be the star of the team and where you're, you know, the, uh, your role is defined by everything being built around you. And then your responsibility is to, to bring the best out of your teammates. Well, in this setting, it's, it's different. You're, you're, you know, everyone has to sacrifice for the team, and and you're going to have to sacrifice your own game, and you know, play a different role. And so, watching the players deal with that and learning from that, and they're all going through the same thing because none of them are, as I mentioned, none of them are playing. You know, 36 minutes where everything is going to be catered to them, and then, you know, what Coach K has done is he's asked them, all the players, to learn multiple positions. So you might be an off guard you know, in, with your NBA team, and we might be asking you to play the power forward position. You know, so you have to be comfortable in embracing that. Okay, that's what you're asking me to do. That's what I'll do. That's what our team needs. And 
I think the international game, there is there's that versatility, the ability to play two, three, four. In some cases, the five. Uh, it's a shorter game. You know, when you when you get to medal rounds, it's like the NCAA term, and it's you know one you, you know single elimination, you're or you, or you're out. So, I think that you have to you know like you look at it that way, and you start you know you you realize how important starting a game fast is, and uh, how how important it is to cover the three point line, right? Um, you know, and then how you want to attack offensively. You know, when you see the switching, to know what you're going to get to right away, to not let the clock wind down. Uh, and so how quickly you could adapt is so important in the international game, uh, particularly for us. There's, there's different rules. There's, You know, it's a different game. It's a shorter game. Um, all, all those things, uh, the way the game is officiated, being able to adapt, because one game might be, a little more physical. The next game might be more of a, you know, where they're calling touch fouls. You've got to be ready, you know, you to, you know, you, you don't want technical fouls because of the shortness of the game. It's, it's more difficult to make make up, you know, the the technical fouls that you're, you're where you're giving points away, and there are also personal fouls uh, in international play. And there's only five fouls before you foul out, so it's a it's a different dynamic. In '04. We sent that team, and they lost. And uh, it was kind of the, the end of that era of basketball, which was really started in the 90s with Jordan. A lot of one-on-one, and you didn't see the ball moving around. Not as many, not nearly as many three-pointers as we have now, obviously. But um, it seemed like that was a transformative moment for basketball in this country, just getting our butts kicked with one-on-one basketball versus the beautiful way these other teams played and the slashing kick. Then Nash's sons come in, uh, in that that next season, and they usher in this whole new era of basketball. That that now we're seeing the effects and the manifestation with the Warriors and all this stuff. The the reason I'm bringing this up is, it was much easier for somebody like you to devise a game plan to stop that one on one stuff. And now with this ball movement, where the passing is always ahead of the rotations, um, I guess it's much less fun to coach now if you're a defensive wizard like yourself or am I overthinking this? <laughs> you are overthinking okay. it. No, it, it, you know, it, it, well, it, it, as you can recall from the 90s, it was a much more uh, physical game and uh, when you look at the power forwards, uh, you know, they were huge, you know, oftentimes the, the small forwards were really power forwards. We had uh, in New York, we had Larry Johnson playing small forward. Oakley was power forward. Patrick Ewing was the center. And right. Most teams were built that way, and it was a it was very physical. Uh, you know, if you went into the paint, you were going to get hit. And then with the rule changes, I believe the rule changes occurred in '03. And so then what happened because of the physicality, they thought it, it, it was crossing over, which it probably was, and. Uh, for our game, it, the rule changes were very positive. So what it did is it put an emphasis on skill again. So then what you were seeing, now the small forwards were playing power forwards, so there was much more shooting on the floor. Yeah. So that opened the game up. Yeah, you know, like, and, and then the emphasis combined, the rule changes combined with the analytics, with the emphasis on the three-point shot and the value of taking them and where you were taking them from, you know, teams started taking more threes, but there was a lot more shooting on the floor. So in the 90s, 
when teams ran pick and roll, there, you know, it was easy to predict where everyone was going to go. So you could trap a lot more in, you know, side pick and roll. There'd be a, a flare or a roll and a duck in on the weak side. The high pick and roll was basically, you know, a roll and replace or a pick and pop. So you knew where everyone was. And, and it was easy to take that out. Now with, with, the, with more shooting on the floor and overloads and, and movement on the pick and roll, it's much harder to, to predict. And then when you combine that, when you say, okay, when I put two on the ball, on the ball, what are we, where are we vulnerable? Well, now you're more reluctant if you think you're going to be giving up a three, particularly a corner three. Right. So like that's all factored into what you're doing with your defense. And then I think in, in some ways with the, the new rules, like when the new rules were, were, were put in, like I think it was, you know, I know it was to emphasize to try to get scoring up and more freedom of movement. And so that it worked from that standpoint. But it also helped the defense because I felt like there were things that you could do by positioning, you know, your weak side big over up to the strong side and uh, taking advantage of the rules that you could kill isolation and make it a jump shooting game. And as long as you knew how you were going to close out on your rotations, you could force teams into taking bad shots. You could force them into the long two. And I think that that is, you know, like what teams were trying to do. And then how you play the ball, I think, is so important. Uh, and, and that's where your technique comes in, keeping the ball out of the middle of the floor, trying to get it into certain areas where you can have an advantage. And then how you play the ball as the ball is being picked up, your technique on it, and your ball pressure and how you trace the ball is critical. I think that the biggest thing that's changed for me is it doesn't seem like you can succeed anymore if two of your guys who are out there out of the five can't shoot. You know, I look at, like, the Kings, and that the Kings have a lot of players that I like, and I watch a lot of them because they're on the West Coast. If they play Collie Stein and Rondo together, with the way the rules are now and the way teams can just sag off people who aren't going to shoot from 20 feet, it's almost a deal breaker at the end of some of these games. So it makes me think like in 08, when the Celtics used to play Rondo and Perkins together, now with the way the rules are now and the way the defense is now, I think those teams would be defended a lot differently than they than they were in 08. Or what do you think? Oh, I agree totally with you. It's m- okay. much harder today uh, to hide two non-shooters. You can hide one. And Rondo's so unique. Like Rondo... Uh, as long as you have shooting on the floor with Rondo, and you can start a game that way, but to finish in the fourth quarter, you got to make sure you have shooting on the floor. And, and you see now, most teams are looking for, you know, the stretch four, the the, the power forward who can shoot to open up the floor. Yeah. Uh, and I think in in Boston in 08, I, I thought Doc did a terrific job with Rajon, particularly late in games, and it was unique. Uh, there were a lot of things that if the ball is in Rondo's hands, obviously it's much harder to, to cheat off him. And we did things where it was difficult to go under on him. And then when he gave the ball up, uh, we, we would position him down on the baseline. And oftentimes in our offense, Garnett was the guy that was back at the top of the key. And that was an area in which he was so effective in shooting the ball for us. Uh, so we, we like them in that position. So what we did, which was a lot different than most teams in defensive transition, 
we didn't have Kevin go to the offensive board. We had him get back and basically take uh, Rajon's uh, responsibility from him in protecting the basket. And because Rajon was on the baseline, we allowed him to go after offensive rebounds. And he was, you know, a pass to coming from behind and popping the ball free. But the other thing that it allowed us to do was to establish our ball pressure up the floor a lot higher. And so that that worked very effectively for us. You guys but kind think, of you guys kind of invented that move with KG. Like, weren't you the first team that really said, "Screw it, we're going to sacrifice offensive rebounding because we don't want to give up transition." Yeah, we wanted to make sure that our you know our defensive transition was real strong. And and Kevin is you, Kevin's a defense unto himself. Right. So like having him back there and communicating and getting everyone else back. And Rajan was, you know, terrific uh, up the floor. And, you know, we did some, some things in which we would, because of the positioning, it also allowed us in certain situations to deny the point guard because he, he wasn't falling back first and then having to come up. He was already up. So that we, we found that to be very effective for us. So they were a great... But again, I'm they, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, I know they had kind of an up-and-down history, but they, they were actually kind of perfect for each other in a weird way. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, like, and uh, Lejean, again, every every year he got so much better, and he, he's so smart, and he had, you know, a certain amount of stubbornness that was probably good for, for him to be the player that he is. You know, and, and Kevin can be stubborn, too, and... uh you know, it, in the end, I think uh, Rajon learned a lot from Kevin, and I think Kevin had a lot of respect for Rajon. Yeah, the four the four personalities of those guys, you almost like central cast <laughs> central casting could have made four different guys, right? KG the way he no. was wired, Rondo's like this tortured genius who has trouble connecting with teammates but sees the floor differently. And Ray is like this crazy OCD shooter that's out there at 3.30 in a dark <laughs> arena practicing threes. And then Pierce is like the traditional kind of normal NBA star. And those four come together and they almost win three titles. No, it, and it was incredible. And you, and, and, and you can't lose sight of the, uh, the job that Doc did in getting everyone onto the same page as quickly as he did, it, it was a, a, a great job by him and, and getting, you know, and, and there's no other, I don't think there's any other franchise like the Celtics with the history of the 17 championships and, you know, how proud that franchise is. And you can feel it, you know, from the moment you walk into that building, you walk into the practice facility, and then when you see, you see the, uh, the old Celtics coming through there, when you see a Bill Russell or a John Havlicek or uh, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, or Bob Cousy, Tommy Heinsohn. It's uh, it's it's pretty special. So you and Doc, you and Doc, are still tortured by Game Seven, two thousand ten. I knew you would bring it up. I know, and <laughs> I I remember he told me a couple years ago you guys went to dinner once, and for some reason you ended up talking about that game for an hour. Um, it it he, never fails. Every, every time we have dinner, at some point we are going back there. So you have <laughs> you're up three two. You go into L A. Got to win one of the last two. Perkins gets hurt in the first half of Game Six. Throws the whole game out of whack. Now you got to go into Game Seven. You got no Perkins. You basically have a, a six man team and Rashid, who had, just had not played a lot of minutes that year. 
Nate Robinson, you got to figure out a game plan. So walk us through the game plan. Well, we knew going into that game, and we really, our regular season that year was not very good. But in the playoffs, we, we played really, really well. And the loss of Perk was huge for us because of the Lakers size. And, and people, like, sometimes forget that. And uh, we started off the game, and we knew, like, with when you're dealing with Kobe in a game seven, uh, there would be no bullets left in his gun. You know, we right. knew that, you know, okay, he's he, he going to keep going, so we got to be ready to deal with that. And, uh, and, and the, we started off that game great. We had an early lead and played a great first quarter. I believe we are up six at, at the half. Uh but the thing, and, and, and they did not shoot well. They shot 32%. Uh, but it was a low-scoring game. And the thing we were, because we started off the game, even though we had that lead uh, in the first quarter, the big lead, I think, with nine or ten points, the rebounding was really hurting us. Like, we were giving, you know, two and three shots. And uh, so we're up six at the half. Third quarter was back and forth. I think we built a 13-point lead. Well, hold so we, on. Wait, yeah. wait a second, though. You you guys went into that game thinking that it was a game seven and Kobe was going to be Kobe, and you were like, "Let's double team him anyway, and maybe he'll maybe he'll try to beat the double teams and 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 try to force his hand to keep shooting." Right? Wasn't that the game plan? No. Yeah, yeah. What you did? Yeah. Okay. I think it was. See, the thing that and and to his credit. You know, we knew that he would do that. I mean, he's got a, you know, he got a killer mentality. <laughs> right. He's not he's not walking out of that building saying I left anything left. You know, I had anything left in there. So, you know, he, I think he was six for twenty four. Yeah. And he was trying to get. We knew as and as the game would go on, was going on. We knew he was trying to get away from the help quicker. So you had to adjust like where the help was coming from and how quickly you were coming. And then you had to get back to bodies to finish your defense. Now, the second shot did hurt us. And the one thing that, you know, like, in, and it's it's funny because we, we knew how good this all was. But, and, you know, when I had the opportunity to coach Powell last year, Powell was really, really good. And in game seven, he had 19 points and 18 rebounds and nine offensive. But they were really, really long. Like, when you look at, uh, when Bynum, and he only played about 20 minutes, I think he had four or five offensive rebounds as well. And then Kobe, Kobe did not have a good shooting night, but his will to win, he had 15 rebounds. Yeah. You know, so I think he had four or five offensive rebounds. And then we there were two plays. We're up four going into the fourth, and uh, we had a, a play in which we uh, – Fisher hit a spot up three off a, a help on with the salt post up, and then uh, uh, our test hit a hit a three late in the fourth, which you know is normally not a great strength of his. Right. Our test really hurt us. Yeah, our test had twenty points in that game. He had a, an AM one in the fourth quarter that was you know, one of those plays on the restricted line go either way, um, and. We just had, you know, in, in, in the free throws, like, uh, we had a lot of, you know, uh, they had uh, 35, 37 free throws, and I think we had 17, so there was a big uh, discrepancy there. And 
you know, you, when you think back of all the things, you know, you in your mind you're saying, well, what if the game seven was in Boston? You know, it'd be a little, you know, so you, you go back to the importance of having home court, you yep. know, and, and and all those things. Uh, but it was a great game. You know, we had Ray. Ray had a couple shots go in and out on him in the fourth. Uh, actually, in, you know, if you remember the end of that game when we got down five, Rajon made a great hustle play corner three, and he comes back, and it's a scramble as we're racing it up the floor with about 20 seconds left, and he deflects the ball, and we would have had it. It just hit the, the sideline. Right. That ball didn't hit the sideline. We it, At that point, you never know what could happen. A three right there, when, and we can end up winning the game. You know, so... Uh, but it was, and you're right. You know, like our our depth in that game was not great, and particularly Perkins. He, you know, just the size. So because of, you know, like they where they had, uh, you know, Gasol and they had Bynum and then Odom, uh, you know, was was terrific for them. And then like our test played 46 minutes in that game. Kobe played 45, and Gasol never came out. Gasol played 42 minutes. In that game. He you was know, incredible. So, yeah. They, you almost stole. You almost stole the title. I mean, really, it's it's a team. The '09 team should have won the title. The 2010 team probably shouldn't have, but yeah. came very, very close to stealing it. And it's right. it almost is more. I'm more tortured by that game six, game seven than any Celtics since 1987. <laughs> 87 was the last one, but 2010, it was it was right there. It was sitting there. Yes. With a ribbon you never on get it. over it. No. You never get over it. You just got to get around it. So who is... And, uh, you know, and I give Danny a lot of credit, too, And from, uh, you know, like when they did the Kevin deal, they were hoping for, you know, three good years, and it ended up being six great years. Yeah. So that that was just a tremendous move, and, and of course, the Ray, and there were a lot of other guys that were huge for us. When you look at Aposi, and you look at Eddie House, Leon Paul, Glenn Davis, you know, all of them. They were that team was uh, it had a lot of heart. And then the KG deal paid off a second time with that Brooklyn trade. KG, we're we're still we're still reaping the benefits of KG <laughs> all these years later. Hold on, we got to take one break here. Are you ever more angry, more annoyed, more infuriated than the moment you realize you've been lied to? I lied to Tate, the producer, last week. I told him that I thought UNC Hoops had a chance to make some noise in March Madness. And as soon as he finds out I lied, which is right now, he's going to be angry. Well, here's another lie that makes me angry. I see all these ads from home security companies, you know, the ones that say free everywhere, free system, million-dollar value, free everything. Here's a little tip that will save you a huge headache later. Any home security that says free has a huge contract attached. Three years, thousands of dollars, you're locked in. Guess what? There's a better way to protect your home. It's called Simply Safe. Here's a home security I trust. No long-term contracts, no hidden fees, none of the bad stuff. 24-7 professional monitoring, lightning fast, absurdly easy to use. And the best part, if you want monitoring, it's just $15 per month. Some of the other guys are charging three times that. So go to Simply Safe Bill. Dot com to get my exclusive 10% discount. SimplySafeBill.com. Back to tips. Uh, we're going to wrap up, but I wanted to ask, we were talking about what ifs with the uh, with the Celtics, and you had a what if. 2012, you're going to the playoffs, you're the one seed. Um, Rose is playing at the highest possible level and gets hurt in round one, game one. 
and that's it. And he's never really the same physically after that. Um, it just as a coach, like you're sitting there, this is your chance. This is the chance to make the finals. The league's kind of wide open that year. LeBron hadn't won a title in Miami yet. Nobody knew what was going on there. On the west, on the west side, the Lakers are kind of fading. OKC's not quite ready yet. How often do you think about that playoffs? Yeah, you know, it was heartbreaking for us, for and particularly for Derek. You know, and Derek was—he uh, had an amazing. 2010-11 season in which he was the youngest MVP in the history of the league. Uh, when we came back the next year, it was the, that was the lockout year. We had another terrific season, and you know we're the number one seed. We're, we have a top five uh, offense and a top five defense, and we thought we had a great shot that year. And unfortunately, that's part of the game, you know, and you hate to see it. Um, but he, he gets the ACL. And, you know, he's, uh, he's a terrific guy and he's still young and I'm still hopeful that he, he'll, he'll bounce back. It looks like he's, he's getting his legs back now. So hopefully that'll be the case. But that team was a, a terrific team. And I thought we, we had a good chance that year. It just didn't happen. What do you remember? It's, it's now four years later. What do you remember from like the 12 to 24 hours after he goes down? Well, the, the hardest thing was, you know, because of uh, what he meant to the team and the type of guy that he is. Like the the, the team, it's a, it's a big hit when you lose somebody like that, not just from a basketball standpoint, but he's a, he's such a great guy on top of it. His teammates, you know, absolutely love him. So uh, that that was that was tough. That you know, the next game was was a struggle, but then there was a lot of fight, and uh, unfortunately. Uh, Joakim went down uh, with an ankle in, in the next game, and uh, uh, C.J. Uh, Watson he had a strained elbow, couldn't shoot. And uh, we still we, we ended up we won a second game, and we actually in game six uh, we had a, a situation in which we missed two free throws at the end of the game until he came back at one. But we probably could have won that series if it comes back to uh, um, Chicago. So. Just the disappointment of Derek being injured and knowing what he meant to the team, and then of course uh, you lose Joe Kane. But and and then and going forward from there, we endured a lot of you know heartache with you know the continuation of Derek going down. But I absolutely loved that team because of, there was never any quitting them. Uh, that you know a lot of most teams you you know that. When you lose your best player, it's a struggle. And these guys, they re- they refuse to give in. And they still always find a way to compete and be competitive. And I have a lot of respect for that. When uh, when OKC traded James Harden, I wrote a column about um, the windows of NBA teams and how if the NBA has taught us anything over the last 40, 50 years, it's that you just never know when that window is going to end. And I'm always amazed, even like now with the Warriors. The Warriors are on an amazing year and a half run, but who knows? You just never know when something bad's going to happen. When you're in the middle of it as a coach, um, how how aware are you of the mortality of your team, or is that something you don't even think about until something bad happens? Yeah, I mean, I think you go into every season and you're always thinking about 
you know, you're, you know, you try to prepare for everything and you prepare for the worst case scenarios. If that something happens, what would we do? You know, and you, you know, obviously you're hopeful that it never happens. Right, right, right. Uh, but it's, you know, in, but that's the one thing about this league is, is that things do change very quickly. And you always say, and, and it's both ways. It can go from being great to being bad very quickly. And it can go from bad to being great very quickly as, you know, the 2008 experience, you know, the, if you look at the year before, you know, it was about as bad as it could get. And then, Next year, it was about as good as it could get, you know, so it can change very quickly on you. And then I think when it does change, you know, it's how quickly can you adapt? And that's the challenge that you're faced with. And I think every season you're faced with new and different challenges, but you never know, you know, what what could happen. And, you know, I know like in, uh, uh, you know, we, we ended up in, um, after the, you know, Derek got hurt, we lost Osset to, uh, you know, in a, in a crazy situation with Houston. And, right. You know, like, you, you never know how, you know, things can change. Same thing, you know, like, uh, you know, in James Harden, uh, I would say, like, he was the other guy that really stood out with Team USA. Like, he's, you know, those guys come in and, you know, everyone was saying, well, he won't, he won't play D. He played great defense for us with Team USA, you know, and DeMarcus and, you know, Kevin Durant did the same. And, you know, they, they're, I think that those guys, you know, when you look at them and what they bring to teams, it's uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. That's why when I'm watching you know, Kyrie Irving play now, I, I see, you know, I know how he played in that World Cup, and I'm saying, wow, this, you know, this guy's as talented as anyone in the league. Yeah, that that uh, that Cleveland team who just got a new coach, but they have LeBron and Love and Kyrie, all guys that you've rubbed shoulders with. On Team USA, right? Wasn't love in there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, didn't, um, he didn't play. He came through. You right. Know, and so I've had a, you know, that's what I was saying. Like the some of the older guys from the Olympic team, uh, you know, they always during Vegas they they come through there to check on the guys and uh, you know to check in with uh, you know Jerry Colangelo and Mike and, and they're just great to be around. And, you know, when you spend time with them and you see that. You know, if it didn't mean anything to him, you probably wouldn't see him there. You know? Right, right. So, so it's uh, so that it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. That Cavs team, looking at it now, feels like a little bit of a sleeping giant because you know they they were thrown off the first half of the year. Who knows what happened with the coach? Kyrie's not healthy. Loves being used in a way that obviously he wasn't responding to that well. Now they're trying to fix stuff, getting a little momentum. Would you say that's the sleeping kind of giant of this season, or or do you think it's somebody else? Well, uh, well, I, I would dispute the sleeping giant part because when you're talking about LeBron, you know, you're talking about a guy who's been in the in the finals five straight years, right? Right. So I don't know if anyone's saying sleeping giant, but I look at hibernating, cu- hibernating giant. <laughs> <laughs> Like you know, like it's, it's really, I you know sometimes I, I think you look at LeBron and you say you know people don't even though he's you know obviously LeBron, what he's doing is amazing, you know to every year the finals and uh, you know you look at uh, you you look at the minutes that he played in, in the four years in Miami and to 
still be doing it at the level that he's doing it at, that's a credit to him. And now, uh, Kyrie, Kyrie's biggest thing is is the health. If he's healthy, uh, he's he's impossible to guard. And then you know, like if Kevin gets comfortable, and it, you know they've changed the lineup with uh, you know Tristan Thompson going into the starting lineup, which has made him a lot faster. Uh, they're playing Jefferson at the four. They're playing. LeBron at the four, so that's changed that dynamic. And now Love is playing a little bit of five as well. So they're they're a real interesting team. I look at them and I'm saying, okay, they're going to score more. And then the question is, can they still remain an elite defensive team? Like right now, I think they're second in offensive efficiency and ninth in defensive efficiency. So they're they're giving up when you take Moscow out of the starting lineup. You're giving up the shot blocking at the rim. Yeah. So you know, you're, anytime you you know, like that's what you're doing. But you're you're also gaining a lot more speed. So there's there's a trade off. And then you got you have to ask yourself in the end, what gives us the best chance to win it? Well, I would say having LeBron on the team really helps. All right, I have three quick questions yeah. left. <laughs> um, I've always had a theory. And you'll like this because this is right in your wheelhouse. That the title is always decided by who can control the five feet in front of the rim and around the rim. And even you look back at 2010 Game Seven, it really came down to those five feet, and the Lakers won the five feet and got the rebounds and protected the, all that stuff. But now basketball is starting to shift into this into this sport where the shooting is becoming the dominant X factor. And yet I still feel like when we get to the playoffs, it's going to be about that five feet. What do you think? Well, you probably, the playoffs are a different animal because it's the same team, you know, over and over again. So you're going to know, you know, everything that's come their their tendencies, their out of timeout plays, every action. But you, you see the shooting percentages go way down. You know, the rotations go down. So instead of playing, you know, 10 or 9, now it becomes, you know, 8 or 7. You know, you look at the minutes of the star players in the playoffs, particularly the further you go, you know, they they get up to, you know, 38, 40 minutes a game. So it's a different game. And then the rebounding component you cannot overlook. It's that, that that's critical. And, like, and that's why, like, you, you want to see, like, usually when you look at the final four teams, uh, Every year, if you went back the last 20 years, they're well-balanced, they're efficient offensively and defensively, but the rebounding component is huge. It's hard to win it without being a dominant rebounding team. So I think the size does matter. I think that, you know, like we always felt in Boston that particularly when we were playing against LeBron, if you were facing high pick and roll and yet they were taking one seven-footer away from the basket, you always wanted to have the second seven-footer at the basket. So, like, having having that second the second guy with size, I think, is important. Uh, but I think the one thing you could take from the Golden State is to have the – they have the great versatility of playing big and playing small. Right. Like they can go with Bogut, who's terrific, Azili, who's terrific, and then – the 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 wild card is is Draymond. So now Draymond goes to the five, and now see the thing is it, it's the enormous pressure that they're going to put on you when they go to that lineup because now they're going to go to switching 
the pick and rolls. Now what do you do? If you hold on to the ball, let the clock wind down and settle for, you know, the jump shot, long jump shot over uh, Draymond, and now it's a miss. Now you put them in the open because whoever gets the rebound and they they got guys that are, you know that are going to fight for that rebound when they get it, they're flying at you. They're not. This isn't like a you know a walk off. And now it's not going to be a traditional first big to the rim, second big trail type transition. They're going to be flying to the corners. The floor is going to be open, and then it's wide open driving kick or the open three for you know player staff or you know dig a dollar or if they if they get Draymond on the roll his playmaking ability you know it's it's not a it's not an easy transition so you have to understand what you're going to do and then how are you going to handle the pick and roll with Steph and Draymond yeah you know are you going to switch that are you going to blitz that because that's going to put enormous pressure on you as well um since 1989 best team you saw we can't take it to 86. Were you in the league in 86? No, but I was in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> well, but listen, all right, so this is a trick question because we all know. I mean, it's it's a foreground conclusion. The 86 Celtics were the greatest team of all time. So from 89 on. That was your on, question. <laughs> yeah. So from 89 on, who, who was the best team you coached against or coached for? I'd say... Uh, you know the Jordan Bulls were uh, the, that seventy-two win team was. That was a great, great team. Uh, that was the hardest team I think to coach against. How come? Uh, just because uh, you know, like the the Jordan, uh, he could break it down so many different ways, and he made everyone else a lot better than what they were. You yeah, know, like he. As you know, as great, he probably still doesn't get enough credit for how great. And you know, he's you can make obviously the case that he's the greatest ever. You know, along with Bill Russell or you know whoever else you want to put in that that argument. But what he did in the physicality that was in the league at that that point, you know, it's, it's remark to do it the way he did it for six out of eight years, and who knows what would have happened in those two years in between. But he made everyone so much better, and he was just such a killer. You know, like it, you, you, you were, you know, he was going to come at you. He was going to post you. He's going to be off the dribble. He's going to be in the pick and roll, uh, and then he was going to take your best player, and he was going to guard him and make it impossible. And then Pippen, the same thing. You know, then Horace Grant, then Rodman. You know, and then you know, great role players. It's uh, that was, the, that that run was incredible by them. Uh, you know, and then I'd say uh, after that, pick any one of the Spurs teams uh, just because of the balance. And, you know, when you're dealing with David Robinson and Tim Duncan, right? you know, it's, you know, it's, it's impossible. That team was very, very difficult to get a good quality shot against. But, but you're probably happy that Shaq and Kobe ultimately couldn't get along and, and parted ways because that, that decade probably could have yeah, been done if they yeah. got along. Yeah, you could put them in there too because you, you uh, that's probably, I mean, Shaq was as dominant as any big man ever. Like you, it was impossible to guard him with one. And Kobe off the dribble was impossible to guard. So you had two guys that, you know, virtually you had to commit your whole team to. 
and uh, you know that that team was very difficult to play against. And then the toughest team that you know I was with was obviously the the Celtic team. Right. All right. So you you're taking this year off. You're out of the loop. But then next season, you think you'll coach again? Yeah, I mean, this, this year has been great for me. You know, uh, as I said, it's a much broader view. Uh, we'll wait till the end of the season. I do miss the competition. You know, so, I, you know, the right situation comes along. I'd, you know, love to get back into it. Isn't there like some sort of local Illinois high school team you could moonlight on for a month and just <laughs> whip the guys into shape, start yelling at them? <laughs> uh, I don't know if they'd, they'd be ready for that. <laughs> so wait a second. So if you're looking right, at right now, now, okay. now, right now I have fun just harassing all my friends that are coaching. I'm, I'm like, and, it, and it's funny when you look at it, looking at it from this perspective. So if, uh, if the Clippers are playing. And I'm watching Doc, and you know, like when you know someone well, you know what the look means. You know, I'm saying, man, I hope I didn't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, when you're looking at the next job, last thing, are you like, if you had to weigh the variables, would you? Where would you put it for next five years of the roster? Um, owner, GM, front office, infrastructure the city, uh, best player? Like, what, what's, like, the number one variable when you're looking at a next job? Yeah, and that's a good question. I think all of the above. I think, you know, you want to gather the information, evaluate strengths and weaknesses of it, and then try to make a good decision where you feel like you're, you'll be a good fit uh, and where you could be for an extended amount of time. You know, I think... The makeup of the roster is critical. You know, I obviously want want to have the right type of guys, and yeah, I've, I've been around long enough. I've been in just about every situation. I've been with young teams. I've been with old teams. I've been with in between teams. So, uh, and I think it's what you make it. If you, there's a a shared vision, you know, where you have certain things that you believe in as an organization, and uh, a commitment made made by everybody where you can go in and try to get the most out of each and every day and, and hopefully have a, a chance to build a championship caliber team. That's what I'm looking for. And I'm hopeful that that's what, what will happen. Whose opinion do you value more for this next job? Van Gundy or doc? If you have to pick one, you got to throw out the other guy. You got to trust one of those guys. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, I pick them. You I have, have to, you have I, to I get have, rid I, of one. No, I have a board of directors. Okay, so. good, smart. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to the board. I'm not. I'm not relying on any one or two. It's the board. All right, hey, I'm. I'd like to apply to be on the board if you need any more You're board members. You're on it. Tibbs, this was a pleasure. You did it. You're a right, media thanks, person Bill. now. This was fun. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks All right, for having me. good luck with the rest of the season. Right. Thanks. Right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Now. All right, thanks to Tibbs. And just for the record, I didn't want to ask him a whole bunch of uh, questions about the Bulls and what happened and all that stuff because, you know, he's he's taken a year sabbatical here and, and he's been very, very private about all that stuff. And I'm sure he'll say whatever he has to say at some point, but it wasn't going to be on this podcast. I just wanted to talk hoops with him. And down the road, if he wants to talk about it, we're here. Uh, anyway, thanks to Tibbs. Thanks to Simply Safe. They have no long-term contracts, period. 
you get the best 24-7 security protection possible for just $14.99 a month. That's the only security I trust. Visit simplysafebill.com to get my 10% off discount. Simplysafebill.com. Uh, and thanks to HBO, you don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO, HBO Now app and start your free one-month trial today. Coming to HBO Now later this month because it is February. Fast 7 and San Andreas. Oh, yeah. Those are two rewatchable movies. Speaking of rewatchable movies, check out the Channel 33 podcast because not only are we talking about the phenomenal Grease TV uh, experiment yesterday that Fox did, Julia and Amanda, we'll be talking about that on Jam Session, but Chris and Andy will be on there, a whole bunch of stuff. Check out Channel 33. Thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the BS Podcast and Channel 33. Subscribe to both podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Back later this week, the Super Bowl props. Cousin Sal, it's coming. Be patient. We will have it. Midweek. Talk to you soon. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.